Good morning. How many of you have seen the movie Groundhog Day? I've seen it several times. I keep reliving it over and over. But uh, I like that show. A uh, couple reasons. It's, it's funny. Uh, but it's also from Punxsutawney, Pennsylvania, which is close to my home. Not too far from where I used to live. And uh, they even have shots of Pittsburgh up there, which really is wonderful to see. But in, in that movie, there is a, uh, a part where Bill Murray is sitting with uh, Angie, uh, Andy McDowell. Is that her name, Andy McDowell? Angie McDowell? The lady with the black hair. And, uh, and as they're talking, she, he asks her what kind of person, what kind of guy she's looking for. And uh, she says something like, I, I, this, don't quote me, but words like this. I want somebody who's kind. He says, that's me. She says, good. He says, me. Somebody who would change diapers. He says, me. Strong, me. And compassionate, me again. He says, boy, I'm really close on this. Uh, When we evaluate ourselves, it is all those good qualities that we have. Uh, you know, I do that, you know, me, 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 yes, uh, tall, dark, and handsome, me. <laughs> you know, I look at myself in a mirror and I see Elvis Presley, I just can't, I just can't figure that out. <laughs> Is that Tom Selleck I'm looking at? <laughs> However... You know, God puts stuff in your way, and, uh, and, and he does so just kind of to humble us. So, you know, we've been going through Romans chapters 1, 2, and 3. Now, today we're starting Romans chapter 2. So if you want to uh, look at your Bibles to Romans chapter 2, verses 1 through 11, uh, this kind of gets rid of that me, 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 I'm all these good things because... Uh, I got a problem with Romans chapter 2 in that I can't say me, me, and me uh, unless it's me, me, me. I'm the bad guy here. But let's look at this. Paul writes, Therefore you have no excuse, every one of you who passes judgment, for in that which you judge another, you condemn yourself. For you who judge practice the same things. And we know that the judgment of God rightly falls upon those who practice such things. But do you suppose this, O man, when you pass judgment on those who practice such things and do the same yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness and tolerance and patience, not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance? But because of your stubbornness, me, and unrepentant heart, me, then you are storing up wrath for yourself in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. I add those me's in there that's really not in there unless you're reading my Bible. Who will render to each person according to his deeds? And to those who by perseverance in doing good seek for glory and honor and immortality, eternal life, but to those who are selfishly ambitious 
and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, wrath, and indignation. There will be tribulation and distress for every soul of man who does evil, of the Jew first, and also of the Greek. But glory and honor and peace to everyone who does good, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for there is no partiality with God. Now, how much of me, you, do you see in that? You know, we can say me, kind, good, compassionate, gentle, and, you know, we can say me, but sometimes it's hard to say me when he talks about a stubborn heart and, and being shallow and judgmental. Uh, we just don't see me in there. So let's pray and we'll look at these. Father, I just, I just ask today, Lord, that in our hearts and our minds, Lord, as we gaze upon who you are, that we will see ourselves for who we really are. Father, sometimes we are very unrepentant when we should praise you that we have an opportunity to repent. And sometimes, Lord, our hearts can be very stubborn. I know mine is at times very stubborn. And Lord, just forgive us for being small in our faith and shallow in our walk with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Yesterday I was watching a ball game they don't pick up the Pittsburgh Pirates here, so I have to watch, you know, another team play. I'm watching a ball game, and, uh, you know, I watched three ball games this last three days. And, you know, the, the starting pitchers for the other two games were tremendous. I said, oh, man, those guys are good. And then yesterday's pitcher... You know, it didn't look so good. So I became critical of the guy. I said, yeah, trade him. You know, it's easy to be, uh, you know, uh, the, the quarterback while you're sitting on the couch, you know, and, or the pitcher when you're sitting on the couch. And, trade him. Get rid of him. Bring in the relief pitcher. The guy was doing the best he can do. Best he can do. And he's a good pitcher. He is. Doing the best he could do. And I was being critical of him. I mean, they have not seen my fast. My fastball was clocked at 53 miles an hour. <laughs> you know, you know, do you know what Albert Pujols would do with that? <laughs> or Paul Goldschmidt, it'd, it'd be, you wouldn't be able to find that ball. 53 miles an hour. <laughs> but we sometimes become critical. So last week, we, we looked at a, a host of sins that, that Paul spoke of in, in chapter 1. Remember, I listed all those sins for you. You know, haters of God, boastful, inventors of, of evil, disobedient, and so on and so forth. I mentioned all those sins. And the most important matter about the subject of sin, is that oftentimes we find it easy to condemn those who are caught in the act of it, aren't we? 
Whatever, whatever it might be. Whatever it might be. There, there is always this mentality in us that, uh, you know, even with my fast pitch, that I should be able to cast the first stone. So today we come to chapter 2. And here we find Paul transitioning from the first, from first addressing the Gentile population. Chapter 1 is about Gentiles. I guess that would be most of us, maybe all of us, I don't know. If there's a Jewish person here, you'd be exempt from chapter 1 for most part. But in chapter 2, Paul goes from Gentiles in chapter 1 to Jews in chapter 2. Uh, in, 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 uh, uh, in chapter 1 in verses uh, 28, 20 through 28 and verse 32, he, he speaks of the Gentiles in the third person. The third person is spoken about, right? There's speaker, spoken to, spoken about. Three persons, okay? In grammar, speaker, spoken to, spoken about. So in the, in the, in the chapter 1, you, you notice that he's, he's talking about the Gentiles. And he uses, and, and, and in that verbiage that he uses, he uses 17 times, 17 times in, in, in verses 20 through 28 and 32, 17 times he uses the words they, their, and them. 17 times. You know, this would be worth, if you're a precept person like my wife, she underlines all those, they all say the same thing. They, there, and them, third person, spoken about, spoken of. But when you come to chapter 2, if you look at verses 2, chapter 2, 1 through 5, Paul uses the second person language, spoken to. And he uses it 14 times. He says, you, yourself, and your. The Jewish people are his counterparts. He is Jewish. So, in writing to his Jewish counterparts in chapter 2, Paul states in verse 1, listen to what he says, Therefore, you, meaning the Jewish people, you have no excuse, every one of you who passes judgment. For in that which you judge another, you condemn yourself. For you who judge practice the same things. Do you know how many times it says you, 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 you? Okay? He's speaking to them. Not about them, but to them. What we find then are, are, are two standards here being addressed. The first is the, the, the human standard. Man's standards, which are based upon comparisons. Remember, me, 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 not you. I'm kind, I'm compassionate, I'm good. I change diapers. Well, if you listen to my wife, she knows that I don't, uh, you know. So, if you have me, 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 when it's good, it's me, me, me. When it's bad, it's you, 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 and you again. There's this human standard that says, well, I can make a judgment because, uh, after all, I have been given to me the oracles of God. Therefore, I can make this judgment call. 
but not you. The, the second standard belongs to God. Look at, look at verse 2. Uh, in, in verse 2 it says, And we know that the judgment of God rightly falls upon those who practice such things. His standard of judgment is always based on things and events as they really are. Not on me and you, but he looks at things as they really are. As one commentator wrote, he says this, Truth applies the same standard to the same things for all the people. And you know what, folks? We, we really need today in our world to learn that concept. That when a, when a judgment is made, it, if it fits you, it has to fit me. If it fits me, it has to fit you. We, we, we can't say this is good for me, but not for thee. Because that's what we're facing, a lot of that in our world today. Uh, this is what I get to do, but you don't get to do this. This is just for me. This is for my benefit. I'm sorry that you can't take, have that privilege. And, and so we make these judgments based on things like that. As we move on to verses 3 and 4, we find the apostle getting right to the very heart the very nerve of Jewish religiosity. And here we find three things that are worth noting that we should look at. And, and this, this is what he gets to, and this is what he gets to the nerve of, of the Jewish people. Look at verse 3. The first one is found in verse 3 and part A of it. He says, but do you suppose this, O man, when you pass judgment on those who practice such things and do the same yourself? He says, you who have the oracles of God given to you, you who are Jewish, you know what the word of God is, and you pass a judgment on somebody that you are passing the same judgment on yourself because you're practicing these very things. It is like like all those things that we found in in, in verses Twenty twenty nine through 31, the other day we looked at them last week, you know, uh, those who are unrighteous, wicked, greed, greedy, evil, envious, murder, deceit, deceit, malice, gossips. He, he says, you who blame other people for this, you're doing the same thing. Why would you pass judgment on someone when you're doing the very same thing? The the second thing he brings out to them, look at verse 3 and part B of it. He says, says, but do you suppose that you will escape the judgment of God? If you condemn someone else and you're doing the same thing, if God's going to condemn them, what's he going to do to you? And verse 4, and part A of verse 4, he says, or do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness and tolerance and patience. Listen, folks, it is not only the Jewish people that Paul is addressing that have the idea of judgment or wrong. It is just as prevalent in our world today as it was then in Paul's day. Even as believers, we sometimes find ourselves passing judgment on others while we are guilty of our own unchristian attitudes and behaviors. I keep on telling you that and this is, this is me. 
I'm going to confess this to you. When I'm driving my car, I'm the only good driver on the road. The rest of the people are idiots. Why is that? But when I make a mistake, when I, when I mess up like, other, like everybody else in the world does, when I mess up driving my car, I say, well, that was an accident. I didn't mean, not, I didn't mean to do that. I've forgiven myself, but I ain't going to forgive you. Because after all, I'm the only great driver in the world. To be sure as believers, we would not be subject to God's wrath. Now, you know, I understand that. You and I, as believers, as believers, as Christians, you're not subject to the wrath of God. And say, preacher, how do we know this? Are you making this up? No, I'm not making this up. And just using the book of Romans, because we're not going through the whole Bible and do this because we'll be here forever. But just using Romans to address that subject that you're not under the wrath of God. Romans 5.16, Romans 8.1, Romans 8.34. That you, we're not under condemnation. We're not under the wrath of God. But that does not mean that God will allow for us to go through some that he'll, he'll allow for us not to go through some discipline for our unchristian-like behavior. Let me, let me share this with you. In, in, in uh, uh, the book of Hebrews and, and chapter 12. In Hebrews chapter 12 and, and verses uh, 14 and 15. This, this is what the writer of Hebrews says. Pursue peace with all men and the sanctification with, without which no one will see the Lord. Now, here's, here's the verse. See to it that no one comes short of the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springing up causes trouble, and by it many be defiled. So what are the implications of this? What are the implications of a root of bitterness springing up in us? I mean, what are we going to look like? You know, is it like the... The, the picture of Dorian Gray has now come to life, and that's, uh, we get this monstrous look about us. I mean, what, what happens to us when we have a root of bitterness? Have you met a person with a root of bitterness? Well, let me tell you, these are just a few observations, okay? The first thing, when a root of bitterness attacks a Christian, you know, God says, you know, I'm not going to pour my wrath on you. I'm just going to just let you... Do your thing for a while over here. I'll, I'll get you back. But the first thing, the first thing that happens when the root of bitterness comes up is your prayer life goes south, doesn't it? I don't need to pray about it. I got it all figured out. An ineffective prayer life. Instead of saying, I, I need to find the will of God in this. God is not in the equation anymore. The second thing is the inability to love. By this, all men will know you're my disciples if you love one another. Isn't that what Jesus says? It's like that lady. I was walking in a grocery store one time, and I saw this lady with this T-shirt on. 
And it said, I don't get mad, I get even. I don't want to meet that lady. I don't want somebody getting even with me. If somebody got even with, if God got even with me for everything I did wrong, I wouldn't be here. I'd be, boom, I would explode. And you would too. You know, if you say, God, just, God's going to get even with you. You don't want God to get even with you. But the inability to love. The third is lack of spiritual assurance. You know, I know what God's word says, but this is what I'm going to do. You know, I don't, I don't like the way he combs his hair. We don't like certain things the way they look. We don't like the way they look, so we make a judgment on them. I don't like certain kind of music, so I make a judgment on it. The question is, it's not what I like that matters. It is what honors God that matters, not what I like. When somebody says, oh, music, music, music. I have a huge, several volumes of a Bible dictionary. They're this, this big. One volume after another, just a Bible dictionary. Several, several books, but it's one dictionary, A to Z. And they have in it a song from like the first century. I had, years ago, I had somebody play that for me. It was horrible. Horrible. It doesn't even make sense to me that the mel- there's no melody there. I mean, it's not like the Oak Ridge Boys were singing it. I mean, you know, who was singing this song? But you know what? It honors God. Why am I? Have, have, did God say, Pat, I'm making you judge of this? Is this worthy to be sung? Is this. Is this worthy to be seen? Should everybody wear a suit? Who makes that judgment? Spiritually, another implication, spiritually unbalanced. You just don't seem to, a person who's spiritually unbalanced, unbalanced has absolutely no idea, no comprehension of where to go to next. What is, what is my next step? And lastly, and this is a big one, physically depleted. You just feel drained. The life is drained. There's no vibrancy. You know what? If anybody is going to get up on the tables and dance, it ought to be the Christians. We get together, and it's like, how's Johnny? Oh, that's so nice. He's in college now. He's working on his PhD. Wonderful. You know what? 
Say, how's Johnny? Man, he's out there and just knocking it out. Listen, I, where's, the, where's the enthusiasm about life? But we're, How's your oatmeal today? <laughs> Please take note of the last part of verse 4 where it says, the kindness of God leads you to repentance. It says that God's kindness leads. Listen, God's kindness leads to repentance. He doesn't drive you to it. He doesn't take a whip and beat you to repent. He leads you to it. A person who walks by faith, you're walking with God, you're walking by faith, all of a sudden, something happens, and you start walking this way. A lost person doesn't do that because a lost person is not initially walking by faith. They're walking in death, aren't they? But they're walking by faith, and all of a sudden, you, you do this, you know, and you start walking the, the opposite way. What does God need to do? He needs to get you back on this road again, doesn't he? Instead of this one. Needs to get you this way. So what does he do? He, he gently, I mean, he don't sit there. You know, yes, there are Balaam's donkeys out there, but you're not Balaam. And I'm not the donkey. But God finds means and ways to turn you. A, a thought of talking to another person, a, a movie that you've seen, a good Christian movie, or a book that you read, and some, or maybe... God forbid the Bible, you, and something, you know, I'm, I've been wrong. I need to start walking with God again. God leads us, not drives us, but leads us to repentance. That's what he says over here, that God will lead you to repentance. As we saw last week, the unsaved and unrepentant heart is, as the prophet Jeremiah says, is deceitful and desperately sick. When a hardened heart continues on a journey towards sin, it treasures up for itself an abundance of divine wrath. Listen, when a hardened heart continues on a journey towards sin, it treasures for itself an abundance of God's wrath. Not for the Christian, but for the unbeliever. Even though they knew the oracles of God, they knew the commands of God, they knew the word of God, they didn't know God. They knew about Him, but they didn't know Him. Do you understand? They knew about Him. But they weren't walking with him. Listen, it is the heart of the person that determines what one's treasure is to be. Jesus says in a Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 6 and verse 21, For where your treasure is, there will your, will your heart be also. So what, what is the treasure of your heart? What is your heart telling you? That's what your treasure is. As we learned over the past couple of weeks, God is a God of wrath as well as a God of love. But His wrath is not like our wrath. 
I want to read you something, just a different version of the scripture from Isaiah chapter 27, verses 2 through 5. But instead of using, I use it normally the New American Standard Version of the Bible, I want to read to you from the Amplified Bible on these verses. This is what it says. In that day it will be said of the redeemed nation of Israel, a vineyard beloved and lovely, sing a responsive song to it and about it. I, the Lord, am its keeper. I water it every moment, lest anyone harm it. I guard and keep it night and day. Wrath is not in me. Would that the briars and thorns, the wicked internal foe, were lined up against me in battle, I would strike in against them. I would burn them up together. Or else, if all Israel would escape being burned up together, there is but one alternative. And listen to what God says. There's but one alternative. Let them take hold of my strength and make complete surrender to my protection. And and here's the key that they may make peace with me. Yes, let them make peace with me. What we see here is God as the keeper of the vineyard who keeps it alive and productive and vibrant with his heavenly water. God waters his people. The water is that life. Without water, we would die. But God's water you know, if you're thirsty and dry, look up to the sky. It's beginning to rain, right? But God's water is what keeps us alive. He keeps watch over, night and day keeps watch over his possession that nothing should disturb nor harm it. That's what God's doing to you. God is watching over you that nothing would harm a single person here. Not a single person. Nothing should harm nor disturb a single person that belongs to him. But listen, this is in reference to his church also. Not just the Jews, but his church too. We are purified through many afflictions and passions and agonies and yes, even death. And I'm even reminded of the death of his son. not justifiable it's not a justified death the judgment against him was wrong the crucifixion was the greatest inhuman act in all of history his feelings toward us is not hate or wrath, or condemnation. But his feelings toward us, we who through our sin put him on the cross, nailed him there, hung him between heaven and earth, pouring out his life for us. We who put him there, his, his feelings toward us is total love without any mixture of wrath. It is those who wish to do injury to his people, his vineyard, 
that he will pour his wrath out upon, and someday he will. Isaiah 27, 5, as I read to you, has these words, let him make peace with me, let him make peace with me. The interpretation here is just easy to understand. It is just as Jesus states in his Sermon on the Mount. He says, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Listen, when we give ourselves over to mercy, then we ourselves receive mercy. Now then, we see in verses 7 and 10, those who are the recipients of God's good favor. And these verses are to be coupled with verse 6. Verse 6 determines what 7 and 10 look like. Look at verse 6. It says, who will render to each person according to his deeds. So he talks about in verses 7 and 10, those who are the people in Christ whose heart is specifically aimed at the things which are above. That he's talking about the people, no matter what happens to them and in them and through them and with them, that they continue to look above. Colossians 1.3, seek those things which are above. Keep your focus on things that are above. Quit looking at the world. Quit looking at how fast Pat's fastball is. Because it really doesn't matter how fast or how slow. What really matters is this. Is that Pat and you have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And we look at each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. Not as my enemy. Not as someone that I'm going to condemn. But I'm a brother. I'm a sister in Christ. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. These people, they find for themselves all the blessings. Those who are in Christ and look above, they find for themselves all the blessings that are attached to God's kingdom. You say, well, pastor, what are these blessings? Well, you know what? I did this in the first hour. Let me do it now. Uh, This is additional. I didn't have this in my notes. But since I'm adding this, I'm not even going to charge you for it. It's just going to be something I'll give to you. You've been to a funeral? You've been to a funeral and and say, Pastor, would you deliver the eulogy? You know what a eulogy is? It's saying good things about somebody. Now, it's pretty hard to do that sometimes for some people. But say, you know what, man, that guy, can that guy whistle? The word eulogy means to say good things about. If you look at Ephesians chapter 1, in verse 3, it says, Blessed, blessed be God, And blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. That word blessed in the Greek is the word eulogetos. It means to eulogize God. It means that we are as Christians to say good things about God. The psalm says that God inhabits the praises, the eulogies of his people. God inhabits the praises of his people. But then the question, 
If this is who I am, I'm a person in Christ. I stand uncondemned before God. Uncondemned before God. No matter what I do, I stand uncondemned before God, Romans 8.1. And what then are the blessings that God has blessed me with? If I stand uncondemned, then what is mine? And I want you to look at Ephesians 1 with me. Because in that, you will find that Paul lists a host of blessings that are yours. Look at this. In verse 4, here's the blessings. Verse 4, Ephesians 1, God chose me. Verse 5, he predestined me. Verse 7, he redeemed me. Verse 7, he he has forgiven me. Verse 8, he's made known to me the mystery of his will. Verse 11, I have become an inheritance. Verse 13, that in him I have been sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Those are the blessings. That was in each one of you. When I look at each one of you, every one of you who are in Christ, you all have these blessings. No matter what you've done in your life, if you trust in Jesus, those are yours. And who appointed me to judge you of anything other than being the child of Jesus Christ? Those who persevere in doing good are those who are attached to God's kingdom with all the blessings. Verses 8 and 9. Paul is addressing those who refuse to be subject to that which is true and became servants then of unrighteousness. Sin is that which qualifies a person for God's wrath. Sin is what qualifies a person for God's wrath. In the the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 32, this is what God says. Vengeance is mine and retribution. In due time, their foot will slip. For the day of their calamity is near, and the impending things are hastening upon them. For the Lord, the Lord will vindicate his people and will have compassion on his servants. What's going on in your life? You got the world condemning you. Oh, that Christian, that, that, that hypocrite Christian. Let me tell you something. Let them critique, criticize, and condemn all they want. But God says, vengeance is mine. I will repay. You don't judge them. Allow God. Would, would you rather you judge them or would you rather have a holy God judge them? Boy, I tell you what, it'd be more merciful if I did than God. Let me tell you something. Those who are not in Christ, those who are not in Christ, God will set them straightly. Once death has occurred in their life, straightway their path is to the portals of hell. But you, my friends, you, my friends, belong to Jesus. Let us not judge. Let us walk with peace with all men. Let me, let me just share this with you and I'm going to be done. Verse 11. Verse 11 of our text. For there is no partiality with God. All people, all people, Jews and Gentiles, male and female, stand equal before God. We're in the same plane before God. That is, God does not look upon the external indicators of a person, but upon our hearts.
the Jews felt that they were privileged in their knowledge. But neither privilege in knowledge nor ignorance of knowledge will excuse a person from God's wrath. The question, my friends, that I leave you with this, the question is not what is not what you know or think you know, but the question is who do you know? Final verse, and we will be done. In the book of Colossians, chapter 3, verses 12 and 13. Paul says, so, so as those who have been chosen of God, you who trust the Christ, those who have been chosen holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, me, humility, me, kindness, me, gentleness, me, and patience, me. Would that be true? Would that always be true? He says, bearing with one another and forgiving each other. Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. I'm one of the biggest culprits of this. Sometimes I find it very easy to make a judgment on somebody. But probably most of us find times when we become critical of others. I think we all, me also, me, me too, I think we need to learn to walk with love and compassion and with peace and have an extraordinary amount of mercy. Let's pray. Father, I just asked today, Lord, that uh, just as the song says, let there be peace on earth and let it begin with me, Father. Lord, we, I, I find it sometimes so easy to condemn and criticize someone who just doesn't do things the way I want them to. Lord, I pray that you would deal with me and, and, and discipline in such a way, Lord, that uh, I would have walked worthy of the man in which I've been called. Now, Lord, we bless you today, Father. Have your way in our hearts and our lives, Father. Direct us to what is true and honorable and just and pure and lovely and of good re- and a good report. Let that be all of us, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.